Welcome back to Taking the Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Dickey. This afternoon, I'm here in Knoxville, Tennessee, and we are extremely excited to have Dustin Markowski, the CEO and founder of Power Solar uh, from California, joining us with the power of Zoom and the magic of some recording equipment. Hopefully, this will all come out great. Uh, but Dustin it has become not only a, a partner of Bonvera, but also a close uh, friend of mine. And I've really enjoyed getting to know you, Dustin, over the last uh, number of months as we've been working together and pulling some things, uh, exciting partnerships together. You've got quite an impressive background. I'm going to read just a little bit here for a guest of the podcast who may not know you personally. Uh, but it, Dustin, your LinkedIn bio says this. Dustin Markowski is an acquisition and growth executive who serves in the tech industries in Silicon Valley and New York. You have a long track record of implementing successful growth strategies for venture-backed startup companies and mature bootstrapped firms. Dustin's experience spans hardware and software and capital equipment uh, products in B2B and direct-to-consumer companies. So uh, you can definitely see how we are uh, getting connected here as well. Dustin, you've, uh, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this later, but I, I find this extremely interesting. You've built a playbook for growth that encompasses process, staffing, training, and scale in order to accelerate the buying process and target organizations to achieve strong yet quick results. I love how you have that worded, and I want to learn more. The product is a predictable path for growth with an immediate ROI, something all companies need definitely today. Uh, you have an impressive academic background, uh, Santa Clara University, a Bachelor of Science in Marketing and Political Science. Then you went on to Lincoln Law School uh, to get your law degree specializing in bank, banking and corporate law. And Dustin, I just want to welcome you right now to the podcast. And I'm really looking forward to the time that you're investing with us over the next uh, four or five hours. Kidding. Next little bit uh, for you to be able to give us a little bit of background on your life. So welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Bob. Uh, I'm, it is a pleasure to be here. Um, it has been fantastic to get to know you over the past uh, six or seven months uh, and, and really the team that you've built as well. So I'm um, excited to know you, uh, but also uh, to be partnered with you as well. So thank you for having me. No, it's our pleasure. Well, I always like going back to the beginning and uh, in this context, the beginning of your professional career, uh, you're a California boy and uh, you, you decided to go to school at, uh, uh, in, there in California as opposed to leaving. And uh, you chose a, a really interesting background. So Santa Clara University wanted to do a little bit of marketing, wanted to do a little bit of pol political science. So just give us, um, give us some insight into 18, 19-year-old Dustin. What are you thinking? What are you passionate about at that time? What are your visions and dreams for the future? And why did you choose to study um, what you chose to study? Yeah, well, I... Um... It's funny, a, a little funny story. Um, I, I got accepted to Harvard, uh, and, uh, and in a lot of ways, I mean, that was probably where I, where I really wanted to go and spend my time. Um, a part of their process, they have, a, they have a, somebody, an alumni, uh, come and interview you as part of that process. And, um, and in that process, uh, they discovered that 
I was not old enough to live in the dorms and they have a requirement to live in your dorms your first year. And so um, I was unable to attend at least for the first year wow. at Harvard. Um, and so um, through that, ended up staying close to home and um, and then I ended up uh, going to Santa Clara University. So that's how that's how that all happened. Um, but love Santa Clara. Um, I was spent, that hometown for you? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I live here in San Jose. Santa Clara is the next town over. Um, and, uh, and both in Santa Clara County, probably 15 minute drive. So. Awesome. Okay. So now were you planning on doing a year there at Santa Clara and then going to the East coast or were you planning on, uh, once you made that decision and you got into the university, what kind of kept you there? Cause I mean, most people being admitted to Harvard are probably not going to turn that down. Well, you know, it was, it was interesting. Um, I actually had the same issue at Santa Clara as well. And so I ended up doing my first year at San Jose State. And uh, and through the process of just being here locally, I think commuting, um, I was working in my parents' business at the time as well. Um, they had a small business that I was uh, working in. Um, just decided to stay here and stay close. Mm-hmm. Um, so I matriculated um, into um, uh, my sophomore year at Santa Clara University, and that's where that's where I completed my time. So, uh, the original goal, uh, I wanted to be a lawyer, um, and uh, and I, I can't remember if that was my desire or somebody else's desire, but um, but uh, that was at least the goal for schools to mm-hmm. kind of go into law. Um, Hence and the then, political science background. A lot of lawyers uh, or aspiring lawyers to start out there, right? Yeah. In fact, I actually remember first meeting with uh, one of the Jesuit. Uh, priests and admissions counselors at Santa Clara University, um, because when we okay, we're going to go do our first year at Santa Clara State, and then we're going to go over to Santa Clara. We kind of made that decision. Um, you know, we, we, yeah, he's like he asked what I was going to major in, mm-hmm. and I told him that I didn't really know at this point. And um, and uh, when I when he found out I wanted to be a lawyer, um, he said, "Well, you know, recommend that you you go into political science." Um, so that's the path I took. Um, you know, looking back. You, you, you look back and you're like, could have, you probably could have done anything at that point. Um, but, you know, when, when you're young and you, you don't, you know, you don't know what you're doing, you just you take the guidance of the people around you. But um, it ended up being a fantastic journey in political science there in uh, Santa Clara. Well, we probably have a number of people thinking, it's like, all right, this is the second university that would not allow him to live in the dorms because he was so young. How young were you? Are you like some Doogie Hauser that like graduated high school at like 12 and started college at 13 or something? I'm, I'm not quite uh, that young necessarily, but, um, but I was, I graduated high school 14. I think between high school and college, I turned 15. So a brand new 15 year old, couldn't drive myself to school. I took the bus um, or my parents dropped me off. Um, I usually took the bus. Because you know, when you're uh, when you're going to college, nothing like having mom and dad drop you off the oh. door. So. Oh my gosh, that's just hysterical. We 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 could probably spend the the rest of our time together talking about your experiences as a uh, a college freshman, 15 years old. Um, wow. <laughs> so when did you grad? You graduated college at what age? Uh, 18. 18. Okay, and then graduated law school. What age? Uh, and then I actually took time off. Okay. I took a couple of years away. Um, at that point, I think I was a little burnt out, and um, and I took some time off. And I actually uh, started law school at basically the age that most people do, which is right right after college. So I took about three or four years off, and and uh, and then went to law school. And at that point, 
Um, I've actually already been kind of building my career uh, in tech, in sales. Um, I didn't start off in sales. I started off uh, kind of like working in accounting. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I made the switch over into sales. And, um, you know, as I worked, my, as I was working full time, I, working my way through law school, um, I mean, that I had to go part time. So taking a lot of night classes and kind of doing juggling both. And, um, and through that process, I really had cemented my career in tech sales. And so by the time it came to graduate, I had really made the decision. I definitely wasn't going to practice law, um, but still uh, really grateful for the opportunity because I learned so much through that. I think that really helped me in just my, my regular career. Mm. Um, in fact, I, I almost feel like there are, there's probably three or four law classes that we should all take as just human beings to kind of understand um, how the world views how liable we are for each other. A lot of times we think we're just, we're only responsible for ourselves. And that's the only thing that matters, you know? Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is we actually do uh, owe a duty to everyone that's around us. And that kind of understanding I learned through law school, I think mm -hmm. was definitely a mind shift for me. So. Wow. So, you, man, I've got so many questions here. I, I want to hear like your advice, thinking back on this time as a, a, a young teenager going through college and then into law school, like what advice you would give uh, kids today? Like what advice would you give your kids, uh, my kids? What did you learn that you found to be extremely valuable principles as you're na navigate, na navigating that that you might you know, give young people today? And then I've got multiple questions about law school and why you wanted to change from maybe a, a law career, legal career into uh, tech sales. But Let's hold that for a second. Let's, let's focus in on the young people. Young people today who need some great wisdom and advice, what would you tell them? Yeah, I would say that uh, uh, being younger uh, and being in an impressionable state uh, and now looking back uh, at the entire experience, I would say that there's a lot of people who want to have a voice and have an impact on the person that you turn out to be. And some of those voices, I think, can lead you uh, on the right path. And some can really derail you um, away from that. Um, and it's really, really important to know the right voices and to make sure that you're listening to the right voices, the ones that are kind of uh, have the best for you, because most people don't. Most people's best interest is themselves. And so um, really uh, having the discernment to know uh, you know, to know the difference mm. and to understand like who really wants the best for you and whose voices should you be listening to. It's bound to be uh, the most important thing. Um, I did that well in some cases and in other cases, not as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then you had to come kind of full circle to learn it. Um, but you know, ultimately life takes you where you need to be. And so if you don't learn it younger, you'll, you'll be taken through the situations to make sure that you learn it when you get older. Yeah. And if you don't do it, then it'll keep coming back around. The, the lessons repeat until the lesson is learned. <laughs> Absolutely right. Yes, yeah. exactly right. But that, that is wise counsel. Uh, I, I can uh, also, you know, validate that in my life too. You know, having discernment to know who is really for you and who is trying to co-opt you for their, you know, whether political gain or monetary gain or use you for their own purposes is extremely important to know. So what a, a great uh, wise counsel for young people today and a lesson all of us need to learn. Um, how about now let's, the other question I, uh, for me that's extremely fascinating is 
law school is a, uh, a challenging endeavor. It's a three-year process, and you're probably starting law school with a certain vision of what you want to do. And at the end of law school, you're like, you know what? I don't want to practice law. I really like tech sales, and I, I love this tech industry, and uh, I love sales in particular. Can you walk us through the transformation process? What, what, did you, what were you wanting to do when you got started in law school? What was your vision? What was your hope, your dream? And then what changed? Um, I, because of the, you know, the, the, my work experience and background, I had, um, I had knew, known by this point entering into law school that I wanted to do some form of corporate law. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, um, I loved business. Um, I loved being a part of business and I wanted to be very tied uh, to that. And so that was a, you know, a big driver for me. Um, in fact, and it being such a big part, what I didn't realize going through it was that was ultimately the thing that I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a part of business. Um, and uh, so that was kind of where I ended up. I think um, the process of um, two things were really key in helping me to make that decision. One was realizing um, the pay cut I'd have to take if I uh, started at the bottom and had to work my way up either in a firm or starting my own firm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and and that was not exciting for me. Um, and then the tireless hours of work, um, you know, to, you know, to get when you kind of first start and to get through um, work is never something I have shied away from. Uh, and I think anyone, anyone that knows me, especially my family at home, sometimes I, I go a little too far that way, but, mm-hmm. um, for me, the work of um, you know just kind of constantly pouring over this type of material—that wasn't the thing that excited me. So it was really like I wanted to build something, and, I'm, and I realized too. I think through that process, I am a builder, and um, and viewing it through that lens, I think is what helped me. You know, some of those things that you mentioned at the beginning that are on my uh, on my my biography, if you mm-hmm. will, is. Uh, was came from that, right? When I started seeing myself as a builder, or that was kind of the thing that I loved, all of a sudden I realized, hey, you know, what do builders have? They have blueprints, and they have, you know, they have things that guide them along their, along what they do, and they have general rules on how things work in that in that uh, industry. And uh, what I realized is that the same thing kind of happens um, in all different facets mm-hmm. of life and in business. And so, if you can figure out a way to create a general um, framework that could adapt one way or another, right? You can expand it or contract it based on what it was you're selling and who you were selling to, um, that you could find, you know, you could find a way to rinse and repeat something over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so you've been able to take that, uh, that learning, it looks like in your career and duplicate it, uh, with multiple companies, multiple industries. So there's, there's found these foundational principles that you have found to be successful, not only for you, but as you implement them with your, your companies, you know, uh, for those people who are sales professionals listening in, maybe young people like I I'm motivated to be just like Dustin. I want to get started in the sales space and, and work my way up. And, um, what advice would you give them? What are some of those, those, um, those blueprints or those principles of success that you might share with listeners? You know, I think, um, uh, if you're a visionary, uh, one of the hardest things sometimes is to slow down and to do things really well on a small scale, um, especially if you, you think really big. 
And so having the discipline to go, you know, let's let's figure out a way to perfect the thing that we're doing, the thing that's in our purview right in front of us, perfect that and use that as the building block to kind of grow, I think is one of the hardest things, but uh, ultimately can really to the biz- biggest success. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, maybe two other things I think from that too is one is success is usually never struck the first time. Um, it takes years and years and years of failure. Um, and you know, the, what I've found is that, um, the people who are considered failures in our society and the people who are considered successes in our society, there's only one real thing that differenti- that differentiates them mm-hmm. from each other. And that is when you decide to end your story. Mm. Say that again. I, I, that is perfect. It, it, the only thing that differentiates the a success and the failure is when you decide to end your story. I love that. Right? Like we, every single one of us, we all have ups and downs. And sometimes the downs feel like they can take you out and they feel like they're bigger than you. But the truth is, is the only, you know, why is somebody defined as one or the other? And it's because you give up mm-hmm. and you say, well, this is, this is it. This is the end. And then you take on that label and now that's your, de- that's your definition. Right. And so when you, when you own that label, you become, you become kind of what you say. Mm-hmm. And so when you own that, like that's, that is, that's what defines you. So the people that are successful still have huge, you know, hit, huge bottoms have big, big issues. They felt like they were never going to come out of, or, you know, un, unsure uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the big thing that uh, usually differentiates is the fact that they just didn't stop. They didn't give up. They said, well, this isn't, this is what is happening. What's what my circumstances are. Doesn't define who I am. Doesn't define who I'm going to be. I know where this needs to be, right? I, I know what my destination looks like. I know what the end goal is. And I'm not, and I just know that I'm not there yet at the end because this doesn't look like it. Mm-hmm. And they just, you know, and they don't stop on that. And so that's been the biggest defining difference, I think. So, I mean, there are multiple times in different businesses that were like, okay, like, should we just, shouldn't we just pack up the towel? Like, this isn't working. You know, we've tried multiple different ways and, uh, and we haven't been able to make it work. We haven't been able to make, you know, the product get uh, success in the market, or we haven't been able to figure out how to make sales really work for this or you know, the marketing and whatever it is, but there's always something, right. That's um, that hasn't worked. And uh, the truth is, is many times uh, right at the end um, kind of, of like, we, you feel like it's the end, mm-hmm. like this, we're done. We're not the, a lot of times with so some strange reason, success is always kind of seems to be right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with that is, is that in hindsight, it's always just right around the corner. That might be three weeks. That could be three years. You don't really know. But, um, but in the long scheme of things, three years is still not that long away. But, right. you know, how how much do you go before you kind of say, OK, well, let's go focus on something else? Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm. I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a participant in that, mm-hmm. you know, there are things that we I've quit, uh, and I didn't see them through and those companies or those people ultimately were ended up being successful. Right. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't part of that through because I gave up and I focused my time on something else. And mm-hmm. whether that was right or wrong, I think is, is, is less important to the fact that the, the truth is when it's yours, mm-hmm. right. When it's yours, um, you got to see that vision through all the way. That's what's really important. So did you learn this um, 
it specifically in the tech sector being able to get because the tech sector is known, especially Silicon Valley, for big dreamers, big visionaries, um, people who are willing to make huge bets on the future, take huge swings. Um, success, like one of the things I have loved uh, talking to people who have worked in Silicon Valley, um, or rather, failure is not uh, seen as fatal, um, but rather it just a, a, a par for the course. It's natural part of life in the the business life cycle of what's going on in Silicon Valley. I've heard um, VCs, uh, venture capitalists, uh, who have said, you know, we won't invest in a founder that has a tra- that has never had a failure, right? Because we know for a fact that at the stakes get bigger and we're worried that as soon as they run into some obstacle, if they've never gone through failure, we don't want to be the ones where they're discovering that on, on our dime. And we love investing in people who have had failure after failure and they figured how to pivot and iterate and come out of it and they come out the other side. Um, so it's almost like a badge of courage. Uh, or a badge of honor, rather, in the Silicon Valley area of like, oh, yeah, I had that. I, I tried it. It didn't work. But here's what I've learned. And now I've moved on and we're um, growing and developing. And you know, I've learned. So are these things that you think that you were able to learn specifically because you're right there in the heart of Silicon Valley and kind of tech sector? Yeah, you know, I think that environment definitely has a massive impact, mm-hmm. right, on, on on how on how you learn, on the things that you pick up, and 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 uh, and your journey of growth, if you will, over time. Um, I will say that I have heard some. I've heard. I saw somebody actually the other day was talking about how they had twenty seven, uh, you know, twenty seven failed uh, companies, right? And this is a fairly young person, and um, there is the you know the non the. Removing the fear from failing, I think, mm-hmm. is a fantastic thing to have because you should be willing to fail. Mm-hmm. You should be willing, um, you know, you should be willing to, to to put everything in, if you will, to to kind of see what happens on the other end. The other side of that is, I kind of wonder, with you know, if you've had that many failures too, have you ever have you ever stayed with something long enough though to see it through to success? Mm-hmm. Because if you fail and you quit versus failing and then figuring out a way to succeed. Um, that's the thing that's interesting, right? Mm-hmm. And and you're yeah, I think it is a badge of courage here, but I also think that um, it needs to be tempered. Like mm-hmm. it's like you like your like your VC said, like if we have a you know if, if they have a history of all successes, they don't know how to fail. Like that's a concern. But at the same time, if you always succeed because you've you understand your failures and you've worked to push through them mm-hmm. that's a very different thing right mm-hmm. you're not learning how to come out of failure you've actually mastered the art mm-hmm. of coming out of failure of coming out of the bottom and i think it's a small nuance mm-hmm. but really important not to define ourselves by the success or the failure mm-hmm. but maybe our ability to rise up when things uh, don't go the way that we expect mm-hmm. it brings us back to the you know some of the points that you had made you know just a moment ago uh, not to be defined by your circumstances and the difference between success and failure and for many people is when they decide uh, to end the story. What a brilliant quote. And that's something I'm going to be uh, tweeting and giving you credit for later this after, this afternoon. But that's, uh, I, I think the folks that are listening are really going to, uh, that, that'll resonate with them greatly. So here you are, you graduate law school, you've decided, you know what, I don't want to take a pay cut and you start my law career. I really enjoy what I'm doing. I'm serving all these interesting companies. I'm learning all these interesting things. Somewhere along the line, 
as you are navigating, you know, the, the, the tech sector, you stumble upon or find the solar industry. And I'd, I'd like, because now it's, uh, we can call that clean tech, right? Green tech. I've heard a, a number of different uh, terms for it. It's a different type of technology, but I'd like to understand your, the process of how you're in the tech space and then you find yourself moving into uh, the solar space. Because I, I, that, that seems like a, a really interesting pivot in some respects. Yeah, I have. Um, so in the realm of, you know, I, much, much of my career has been working with startup companies and mm -hmm. building them and growing them and kind of taking them to a certain place. Um, uh, I always thought of myself as an entrepreneur um, uh, and, and as a business starter. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is it was never my business. Mm -hmm. And um, and one of the things that I had learned and one of the things and going back to the advice that you would give young people coming up, mm -hmm. um, one one of the things I've learned has taken me most of my career to learn this is uh, there's nothing like uh, owning your own business. Mm. And I think that um, not only uh, are the uh, economics of the world as they continue to change um, better and in uh, better, better favor to run and own your own business. Um, but I also think that this is the way that the world is going, right? We, t we talk about things like the gig economy and, you know, um, you know, how many people are participating in that. It's growing year over year over year, whether, you know, it's through Uber or DoorDash or, or some other form, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, working uh, with a network marketing company or, or some other affiliate. Everyone is looking, you know, having your own YouTube channel mm -hmm. even, right? Like there's so many different ways that people are building businesses and there is, um, that, that is growing. I think you get to the point where you start seeing companies uh, like Fortune 100 companies um, looking at, uh, you know, they have more consultants uh, potentially than they even do employees mm -hmm. at a, you know, at a time. Yeah. And I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that transitions and changes over time. But when you can have, uh, you know, when you understand your value, and the value that you bring, and you can have more control over the product that you deliver, better defined terms over the work, uh, work that needs to be done, and you understand the beginning, the end, and then what you're willing to do to see it through, um, it really changes mm -hmm. the economics of all of this, right? And, uh, and knowing your own value is incredibly important in that. So digress away from that. My, my point here is, is that as young people, I think um, there's so many ways to start a business. Um, there's, I, I hear stories all the time. It doesn't have to be super complex. I hear stories all the time of, 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 uh, of somebody going, yeah, you know what? I started walking dogs just to make some extra money through the pandemic. And um, in fact, now I have seven employees. They're like, okay, well, that's Take me through that. Yeah. What, what do you mean you have seven employees, right? And you're doing seven figures uh, as a business, walking dogs. But there's so many, there's so many different service industries mm -hmm. out there um, that you can start start with zero capital, uh, and that the ability to do that is uh, is easier and mm -hmm. easier and better than ever. You can find people walking you through it step by step online. I really think that looking at this as the future is that if you can as early as possible, and why the reason why I would speak specifically to young people is not all the time, but many times you have a cushion. You have a cushion of either being able to live with parents or have relatives or something. You know, if worse happened, you could at least go and move in and go do something. Like that is the best time. You have the biggest support system underneath you. 
um, that when you, if you if you do fail and if everything does come up, you have a really soft place to land. Mm -hmm. And so my recommendation is, is is look for opportunities to do that. Look for a way to find what is it that you're passionate about and figure out a way to make that into a business. Because I think that that is probably the biggest thing and the biggest advice I can give anyone. If I could have started my own business earlier in life, um, I'd probably be in a very different place. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I can't believe the explosion of um, gig economy jobs, especially. I mean, it's just like everybody started looking for something that they could be doing dur during the pandemic, right? I think the, the pandemic has been an inflection point that is changing so much of American society, uh, government, you know, social work, you name it, you know, education. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's great advice there. I mean, I, those are the, some of the exact same things, you know, as a father of six that I am giving uh, my children as well. You know, I've got have a uh, a daughter who just graduated from the University of Tennessee, and she started, uh, odd, oddly enough, or co coincidentally, uh, a tech job in um, Nashville in marketing. So she's she apparently she has some similar passions with you. She's not in law school, but she's tech sector marketing, Nashville, Tennessee. But she's even got you know she has a a business that she started in college. Uh, and is very successful with her photography business and, and uh, a wedding business and marketing business and um, actually making re really good income that way. So I think this is a, a new way of life for young people and even mid-career professionals. And uh, I even see it uh, for older Americans who are, I, we call it the, the encore career. They're, they're either retired or in retirement. And they're like, hey, you know what? I'm a little bit bored. I, I've got some time on my hands. I want to do something fun. I want to, I want, I still want to engage and they're, they're looking for that encore career. And so, um, what, what did you see as you, as you were moving into, uh, the, 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 the solar space? I mean, things have been rapidly changing specifically in this, this industry. I mean, I, you coming from the tech sector change is not something that is, um, new to you. The tech sector is changing, you know, every year it's like, uh, the same as maybe like 10 years in the auto industry or maybe 50 years in the insurance industry. Uh, so you're used to change. You're used to like leaning into change. And a lot has been changing in the solar space, especially over the last couple of years. I mean, it's, um, well, t tell me what you've seen, what's been going on. What should people know? People who are waking up and like, what's going on? I see solar panels on buildings and, you know, in cornfields and on homes, you know, what, what's happening? Yeah. You know, so the, the, the big reason for the change simply just came to the fact that I learned about solar. Somebody talked to me about doing it on my home, mm -hmm. a close friend of mine. And, um, and my first reaction was, well, what's the catch? Like all this sounds phenomenal, but what's the catch? And mm -hmm. I could have, and I was like, you know, when somebody is trying to sell you something and you're going to hear all the great things, but what are the negative things? Right. And, um, and he was like, no, that's really how it works. And I didn't really believe him. And I did my own research and I was like, wow, this, really does work the way that he said it works. And, and that was phenomenal to me. And I, and then I started going, wow, if this is, um, I've you know, being a salesperson and being a person who tries to have integrity as much as I possibly can. Right. Which to me, uh, I was always, always raised that integrity is doing the right thing, even when no one is looking. That's mm -hmm. how I was yeah. raised to learn the definition of integrity. Yeah. Um, but you know, looking at that as I want to be able to represent and sell products when they can really truly help people, right? And have something where I don't have to hide the bad thing and just emphasize the good. I can let everyone see it with all of its warts and everything. And it's still so compelling mm -hmm. that it's, uh, you know, it's a really great thing to do. So when I saw this, 
I thought, hey, this is this could be a phenomenal way to build and to grow a business. Um, and you're right, it is changing. And the more and more that I've, you know, the more years I've been in here and the more research I've done, what I've started to realize is um, there's a lot of things happening, not just uh, on your local scale with your utility, but looking at um, uh, uh, nationwide and really just globally what's happening with energy. Um, you know, things have really changed over the last couple of decades. We spent, you know, the first, you know, 70 years with the national grid um, with, you know, basically mostly federal investment to go build it mm -hmm. and, and get it up and running. Um, there was no real, uh, all rates were pretty much flat um, across those 70 years, right? They, um, they Not much fluctuation in rates at all. Like how do you 70 years later can charge the same amount for energy that you did 70 years? Like we know there's inflation and cost to everything, but that wasn't the case. Uh, it was pretty flat for, for a very extremely long period of time. Um, and with the more energy you consume, just like when you go to Costco, the more anything you buy, right, the cheaper it goes, the same mm -hmm. thing happened with energy. And then in 2000, we started seeing a couple of little things happen, right? We saw, I mean, obviously we saw something happen with Enron. Uh, California had a big crisis. We were having rolling brownouts or blackouts mm -hmm. uh, throughout the state. Um, we had a governor impeached. Uh, because of uh, the energy crisis and the way that that was mishandled. Mm -hmm. um, and we got the Terminator as our governor um, <laughs> for uh, for a little while. Um, but all of that happened uh, because of, uh, of this massive change that was just starting to happen in the energy sector. And uh, what's happened since then is consistent increase in rates over the last 20 to 25 years. Um, some places less than others, but now we're starting to see the big jumps that we would see in places on the coast, like in California or in New Jersey or Massachusetts. We're starting to see that happen across now the entire United States, and it's affecting everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and what has been behind that is uh, there's been a um, – our infrastructure is falling apart. A mm -hmm. lot of it hasn't really been reinvested in now for almost 90 years. Wow. And we're looking at this going, hey, we, we have to make significant investments if we're going to be able to, one, just even sustain what we have. You can see all, you know, mm -hmm. we're, you've got the, the big freeze that happened a year ago or so in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, you're having blackouts happening in all different places. Like, this is now not just a California thing that people used to, you know, uh, say, oh, well, that just happens there. This is happening everywhere now. We can't handle the amount of energy that we consume and the amount of energy that we need. And so there is a big change that needs to happen. You know, we talk about uh, in the next 10 to 15 years, Ford, GM, Chrysler's all talked about how they're going to have nearly all electric fleets, mm -hmm. right? But what are the two or three things behind that statement? Well, that means we're going to 1.8 cars per household, right? Uh, one car doubles the household consumption of electricity, one EV, mm -hmm. right? So if we do almost two, that's a tripling of that energy. We can't handle the needs that we have today. How are we going to triple that over the next 10 to 15 years? Mm -hmm. You've got California mandating that all cars sold there at a certain period of time are going to have to be, you know, electric. And so like, you see this, like it's a collision course, right? You have to, and something has got to change. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. We're, we're, we're getting to this place where if we did nothing, yes, we would be in dire straits in 10, 15 years from now. I mean, we're kind of already there. We're seeing some of the cracks, obviously, in the facade. Mm -hmm. um, but also, 
that's been the nice thing is with that we've seen the massive growth with mm -hmm. solar um, and you know and it just like everything I think that's beautiful in this country right is that people have figured out a way to do it through capitalism and when mm -hmm. you can do it through capitalism you actually can find a way that it can sustain itself for a really long period of time so being able to say hey you know yeah my rates increase every year but this is a way to to mitigate the ever-increasing cost that you're seeing in your energy bill um, is a fantastic way around. Maybe I even pay, I'm worth paying a little bit more to know that I have that mitigated for the next 20 or 30 or years or greater, mm -hmm. right? And so um, that's what, I think that's one of the beautiful things. As soon as you can figure a way to make it work in the market, you can figure out a way to help change market trends. And mm -hmm. that's what we've seen the last five or six years. And the government right now is, well, they, they've been doing it for a while, but it feels like the government is really getting behind this in a massive way. Um, and I know there's a, a lot of uh, investors on Wall Street that today just realize it's like, look, government, like it or not, is a market maker. Uh, they move the, the needle in the, the U.S. economy. And when they are getting behind something in a really big fashion, which they are right now, uh, you've got a long runway there. and so. Talk a little bit about some of the things that you're seeing in terms of uh, tax credits and uh, you know, the various, we'll call it stimulus money that's being, you know, these are investments. It's all investment. Like you, you said a second ago, there has not been enough investment in our electrical grids and our infrastructure. It requires investment. Some of that is um, private investment. A lot of it in, in, in history has been governmental investment. And government right now is investing heavily in the solar space. Um, so talk a little bit about, you know, the changes that you've seen, uh, with that and why that, why you see it to be positive. What's the outlook over the next number of years? How can American homeowners or business owners take advantage of all of that, uh, government investment? It's funny though, cause I, I completely agree with you, Bob. And the thing that's funny to me is, um, all these, all these, uh, you know, government agencies and uh, and you know, the le all this legislation going in place to help try and uh, help make this happen. Um, you know, political. You can get on all different kinds of political mm -hmm. sides of this. You know, whatever. But the truth is, is that we do need a solution. Mm -hmm. This, this is the things. That, these are the things that are happening uh, to our infrastructure. We need a solution to make this change. And if this is the most viable one, fantastic. Um, but. I look at a lot of these government agencies, like if you're looking at the state and local levels, mm -hmm. right, um, they might even have incentives and different things that you can take advantage of, um, but that none of them have budgets. None of them have budgets to go solar themselves. And um, and you'd be, you'd be surprised to see that um, state, municipal, local government is one of our biggest um, areas uh, of doing solar for our business, our company, um, because they don't have a budget. So we have to make it operationally work for them. We have to help them like we would help a homeowner where you would get rid of this bill and get this new bill instead. Um, and, you know, and do that. So we have to bring financing in a lot of different ways to help make this happen because they want to see, they need, they need the same thing, right? They can't deal with the ever increasing cost. They also believe in it and want to be behind it, but they don't have a budget with which to make it happen. And so I think that's been, the thing that has kind of really propelled our business and growth, um, you know, on the small, medium business side of things um, is that when we look um, 
there is not an infrastructure or framework with which with which to go solar and to take action because a lot of times it is that a, uh, operational exchange and when we can solve that problem we can make it prolific for everyone but yeah we're seeing um grants mm -hmm. there's uh, all kinds of tax incentives newly increased tax incentives so we just bumped back up to 30 percent the new inflation reduction act um, also says that hey if you're uh, using if your system is using steel that's coming from america um, at least 50 percent of the materials coming from america uh, you can get an extra 10 percent you can go 40 percent on that tax credit right mm -hmm. if um if you have a panel that's being manufactured here in the united states to an extra 10 percent on that um and so you know you can I think the numbers like you know you can almost get 60 percent. I think of that uh, of that money of that cost back if you invest into a low income place, um, you know, or in community solar. There's mm -hmm. ways to increase um, that level of what you get back um, uh, through that tax credit, which has been phenomenal. And for the very first time, uh, there's a mechanism now for nonprofits and churches to be able to go uh, solar um, when they can't get the tax benefits because now that uh, the tax credit will be treated by the IRS as if that amount of tax has been paid by that entity if they're unable to take it. So it's fantastic to see this investment, right? One, we talk about, um, uh, you know, we talk about equity, mm -hmm. right? And making sure that everyone has the same type of opportunity, um, you know, making sure that all entities can take the part in this and take mm -hmm. the benefit of it, I think is a fantastic thing. Well, where do you see the industry going over the next couple of years? If you are able to, you know, you're probably closer to this than most people. Uh, you're you're building a company in this space. You've got to have uh, projections and outlook uh, for homeowners or a business owner who's like, yeah, but is the government going to come in and you know change the deal? Are they going to take you know benefits away? Um, you know, it, what type? What what are your projections? Right? I mean, I, I you know, those are. You know, you, People, you know, ask questions, and so I'm just kind of curious what, where you see uh, the industry heading, and you know, what's the opportunity for homeowners and business owners, and oh, let's say even say entrepreneurs, sales reps who are like, I want to get trained in this space. I want to, uh, I want this to be my, my an, an income source for me. What does the future look for them over the next three to five years? Yeah, I, so we've always operated from a place of we thought this industry. Um, had room for growth for the next 10 to 20 years, mm -hmm. easy. Mm -hmm. And that was before the tax credit was bumped back up and extended for 10 years, wow. right? That's with, that's with all of those incentives dwindling over the next year or two. Mm -hmm. And we thought that they still had 10 to 20 uh, years of growth in it. Um, so with that, I mean, I think the sky is really the limit. Um, this is something that's, you know, here's the thing. When you design solar, the way that the industry works today, when you design it, you design it for the needs of today. There's no incentive to build for tomorrow's needs because that is basically just a waste, you know, it's a wasted cost. Mm -hmm. You're paying for it and there's no benefit coming to you. And so um, that means the next two, five, 10 years, as that home gets a, an EV on board, right, they're going to need a bigger system. They're going to need to upgrade. They're going to, you know, batteries right now, uh, it's a little 50 50. Mm -hmm. Like if you need one because of where you live and the situation, you're in a rolling blackout and you need to be mm -hmm. able to power your house uh, when the power goes out. Yeah, that, that's a phenomenal use for it. But batteries right now, we just saw, I don't know if you saw, there was a, a fire um, uh, with one of the, um, what do you call it, uh, Tesla's 
the other like utility-sized batteries. Mm -hmm. And there was a fire one over here in um, with PG&E here in California. Um, it's a utility-sized battery it caught on fire. Lithium-ion, those batteries aren't. Uh, built to take that kind of stress, mm -hmm. right? Now they're doing things to mitigate that, and there is technology. So more than often than not, they're actually very, very safe. But at the same time, when does that technology come up to a point where we can charge it up and down constantly? We can actually power our entire home from a single battery, mm -hmm. as opposed to needing four or five or six, right? Being able to power your air conditioner. That's going to happen over the next three, five, seven years. And so these are all opportunities to go and you know go back to your homeowners. So every every customer that you make, right? If you build great customer service and you we would look at this as we're really serving a, a great need that we have in our communities and in our country, um, right? You can potentially have that customer for life uh, when there's opportunities for growth down the road. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can go and resell to them as well. Um, the, I think the one problem is in this industry is that. Uh, the model has been turned on its head. This is an industry where you're seeing that gig economy working really, really well. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's um, you know, so there are a couple of companies that have taken on employees and done it the traditional way. You could probably get the best training there, but you have a very myopic view of the industry and of what's happening uh, in your environment, right? And mm -hmm. and how do you have a very myopic view of it. And, it, and the ability to grow is very um, stunted. Uh, and you contrast that with, um, uh, you know, now you go to the other side and, hey, you're a contractor. Well, now it's all on you to become educated and figure out how to go bring this to your homeowners. And so what we've uh, tried to do here uh, at Power and through our partnership with with, uh, with BV Power, Botvera, is to say, um, let's give people the tools to build their own business. Mm -hmm. And let's become a business that's not necessarily a solar business, like, even though we are in a lot of ways. Um, but really to make sure that our business is helping other people be able to build their own mm -hmm. and give them the tools, remove the obstacles that are in the way of being able to build a business. Uh, learn from the years and years that we've spent fumbling in this industry to kind of figure out and find something that works. You know, use And you can get trained on that and be able to go into market on day one, um, uh, you know, after training, of course, but go into that market uh, educated, mm -hmm. an expert, we actually be able to educate someone through because this isn't about selling. This is about educating homeowners, educating the public on what is available to them and what's possible. And when we do that, uh, solar wins, you know, nine times out of 10. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that you say that this is all about educating because I believe in the um, uh, Inflation Reduction Act that was passed. A, a big part of that bill was talking about uh, educating and bringing new technologies to uh, lower income communities, communities that had been left behind that had not been able to really seize in on the, uh, the technology revolutions. And they were, it was written strategically talking about making sure that there was equality and access to a lot of these new technologies. And it seems like this is exactly what you're passionate about. It's what we're passionate about at BV Power and Bonvera, is making sure that everybody understands this, understands how they can leverage it, how they can take advantage of it. Um, and also, hearing you talk reminds me, it just, it, it, it just feels like this, where solar is right now, or we'll also broaden the aperture a little bit and say clean tech, right? Where clean tech is at the moment feels like where the internet was back in the early 90s 
when you had, you know, Mosaic and Netscape and AOL and other type companies like that and nobody, right? And you, you, you're there, right? So you're, la- you're, you're smiling as I'm looking at you on uh, over Zoom, but you had a front row seat uh, growing up and being kind of in that space, in that sector, and nobody would have foretold of, you know, Facebook and social media and, you know, Twitter and all the things that came, not in the early 90s, but in the early aughts. Right, 2004, 2005, 2008, you know, and then Uber. It's like there, there's just a huge growth trajectory of the internet. And it feels like clean tech is at the very beginning of a similar type, massive growth. And we can't even really predict all the things that are going to be coming down the pike, you know, five, 10 years into the future. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I think what it really is going to come down to, um, a lot of people will look at this industry, if you're in it at least, and say, eh, this is really more of a construction industry. It's not clean tech, it's not green tech. But I think what ends up um, winning over time is the tech, the technology portion of it and how you can use it, um, You know, whether you're using it individually uh, for your home or your business uh, to monitor what you're producing, um, diverting energy to go charge a vehicle, um, using it to power uh, your your property, um, or even power your neighbor's house if they don't have solar, right? Being able to have um, that kind of technology in the palm of your hand to figure out what's the best use of the energy for mine and be able to do that automatically without really input from you if that's what's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other side is the same, the, the technology that we do, we use to empower um, you empower people to build a business, the uh, technology we use to empower people to be able to go and educate the market and how that works from beginning to end seamlessly. I think that's going to be the biggest differentiator. So with everything that you've shared this afternoon, one of the, I guess, questions I would have to follow up with this would be, you know, what, what are you hoping to accomplish with, uh, with all of this, right? Like, so you've, you've made all these pivots you've made uh, changes in your career, you find yourself at the forefront of a really interesting um, tech, tech sector and, and, and career where you're at right now. Um, what is your dream? Like, I, I know for me, you know, there's certain things in my life that I'm like really passionate about that I'm hoping to accomplish with my life. What are, I'd love to, to know what, what is, it is that motivates you each and every morning as you're getting up, as you're building your company, as you're serving customers. Um, what motivates you and what are you hoping to accomplish? I think uh, what, what I want to see in the community is I want to see every building with solar. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the big things that I think really drives me. Um, with uh, our team and with our people and, uh, and our business, I want to be able to help 10,000 people build their own business. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I look at, uh, you know, more globally, I want to be able to help be a solution right, in uh, the energy crisis that we've been living in for two decades now. Mm-hmm. I want to be part of that solution and being able to say, hey, we can, um, it does require a change in the model, but every time you've democratized any industry, right, you've seen massive growth uh, and then our achievements in each of those industries becomes boundless now. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're at the precipice of. I'm really excited to see what the next 10 years, 20 years hold. But I think we're going to see some very amazing things. Oh, I, I agree with you. And you're, um, 
your, your vision for the future, the things that you're hoping to accomplish from your lips to God's ears. Our country needs it. Uh, we need a lot more entrepreneurs. Uh, we need, there's a lot of families out there that are looking for um, extra sources of income. And I, I certainly believe that they are going to be able to achieve it with partnership and working uh, with you and the things that you're, you're putting out there. And uh, certainly, you know, for my children and my grandchildren, uh, I want to see them living in a, uh, I would love to see the United States be energy independent. And especially when it's uh, clean technology, um, that, that's, that, that motivates me as well. So uh, I echo everything that you've just shared there. As we're closing up, a couple last questions for you. Um, you are obviously, based on your uh, Doogie Howser background, uh, quite, the, uh, uh, quite the student and the intellectual. I know a, a guy like you is a lifelong learner. So what are some of the, uh, the books that you're reading right now? Some of the things that you're studying, how are you learning? How are you continuing to grow? What's exciting you at the moment on your education journey? Um, besides the, uh, the leap, the book, the leap. <laughs> oh, well played. Well played. Um, uh, I have two copies of that book now and one of them is signed. So I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I love that. Oh, they great. sit right here on my desk. Um, I think the most transformational book I've uh, read uh, recently um, is an, actually an older book from the 90s uh, called Commanding Your Morning mm -hmm. uh, by uh, Cindy Trim. And, um, Commanding, sorry, your, Commanding Your Morning. I want to make sure I write this down. Commanding Your Morning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it is something that has completely just transformed my prayer life um, and my faith. Um, and it's... I would say that maybe it's not the book itself, but it's what I've taken from the book and applied into my own life that has absolutely transformed um, my entire life. Uh, and, and what I have been able to see, what I've been able to achieve, um, and the impact that I've been able to have um, you know, in, in everything that I do. So it is, uh, I start off my day, there's a, you're not supposed to jump to the end of the book. So if you're okay. listening to this, you got to read the whole book as it okay. builds, and it's phenomenal. It's a simplistic, it's really short, very simple simple read, meaning mm -hmm. that it's um, very understandable. And it's not one of those ones where you kind of have like uh, themes, you like nuggets here and there. Mm -hmm. and like I feel like I, if I look at my copy, it's like almost every single word is highlighted or underlined or mm -hmm. have a note with it because okay. it's just so impactful throughout the whole thing. Wow. But at the end, there is a set of declarations, and um, and that I actually go on a walk every single day and say those declarations, um, and it has just been very impactful in my life. So this is something uh, I've reread now multiple times. I will probably continue to do so, and uh, it's been massively impactful. Oh, that's incredible. Well, I, I have it written down. I am going to uh, uh, check that out. And so for those listening, command your morning. We'll uh, put a link in the show notes to where you can go get that copy. It sounds like, Dustin, you and I uh, start our days in similar fashion. Uh, I know you and I are both uh, men of faith. We have a, another um, commonality in our backgrounds is that we both grew up as pastor's kids. So um, we, we, we share that. And obviously, faith is a very important part of our uh, our daily walk. And so I, I echo that. I, I, I'm looking forward to reading this because starting uh, my day each and every day, I like to have time of prayer and meditation. I have a time of devotions and some reading that I do in the morning. And uh, it's the way I love to start my day. And uh, so I, I can't wait to, to read this book and see how you've incorporated some of these things into your, into your life. Um, well, one of my 
fi- my, my final question was going to be, what, what advice would you give young people? But we've already handled that. You've already given some yeah. great advice to young people today. And so uh, maybe in closing, uh, where can people connect with you, learn more about you and what you're doing? And uh, we're certainly going to have you back on the, uh, on the podcast. I, yeah, I'm sure there's all sorts of questions. Maybe one of the things we'll do is get questions um, from our listeners and we can do a Q&A uh, at a future date. But where can people connect with you? Um, I have tried for years uh, to get very disciplined at using social media. Um, what you end up seeing is that I try really hard for two or three months, and I start posting, and then it goes silent for three years. Um, uh, I am I am on all the all the places, uh, usually under uh, Dustin Markowski. Is okay. um, uh, but I have to say, you'll, you might be visiting a graveyard. Um, <laughs> but maybe the best. That's probably place, good. Uh, it's probably good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I find is that um, I'm I'm not really I'm not a very good consumer of mm-hmm. social media. Uh, when I consume social media, um, I uh, my view of myself and where I'm at in life is not the view that I always have. Mm-hmm. And so when I detach myself from it, I can find that hey, I have a, I have a right sized view of myself, of what I'm supposed to be doing, what my purpose is. And uh, so that's p- part of the reason um, I don't like have to hold off from it. It's mm-hmm. just it kind of naturally comes to me to not right. yeah. consume that data. But I will say that um, the best place probably to reach with me uh, or interact with us is through our website, um, Power.Solar. Um, you know, uh, we are um, we've been really heads down through mm-hmm. the last two and a half years through this pandemic, really building a lot of um, a lot of uh content, a lot of materials through our training, um, a lot of things on our tech side and infrastructure in our business, because um, we do want to see those uh, those 10,000 businesses started from our organization, um, or at least, you know, grown from our organization. And so um, we've been working on that. It's a great place to interact with us. Uh, more and more things are coming. And uh, my contact information is usually right up there. Fantastic. All right. Well, that's where people can uh, connect with you. And uh, Dustin, I just want to say, I, I appreciate you as a friend. I also appreciate you as a business leader and the things that you're uh, working to accomplish. I love your vision. I, I love the way that how you're focused, uh, the, the well-balanced um, manner in which you're doing it. You're obviously having a huge impact, uh, not only in the world, but also your local community. And uh, we are certainly honored and proud to be partnered with you and looking forward to what the future holds. So thank you for taking a few moments today to be on the the podcast and look forward to having you back on it as a guest in the near future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Bob. Take care. Thanks, buddy. Today's episode was engineered by Mitch White. Special thanks to our guest, Dustin Markowski, for taking time to be with us. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify. If you like the show, please share it with a friend and give us a review. It's always appreciated and helpful. Thank you for listening to this pod. We'll be back later with more interviews with thought leaders, business owners, and entrepreneurs, the movers and shakers taking leaps in their life and their careers to do interesting things, foster change, and make the world a better place. If you know of someone who should be on the show, let us know. We'd love to have them on. 